You're listening to an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny is joined by former Swami and meditation teacher of over 40 years, Sally Kempton. And they'll be discussing meditation with the Vinyana Paidava, one of the premier meditation manuals of the Eastern traditions. So tune in as they explore this approach, which uses body, breath, and even emotions and sensory pleasure to take one into meditation. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show archives, you can always, or if you can't catch the show live, you can always access the show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. Uh, you can also find the show on iTunes and uh, Podcast One. Um, and for quick housekeeping, my website to find out more about me is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, good morning, Benny. How are you doing? Hi there. Doing awesome guests and resources. I like that. Oh, yeah. I really do. Yeah. You sometimes go a little quickly, and sometimes you need to bring it back and be like, oh, yeah, she does do that every Friday yeah. at night. So it's good. It I is interesting it. when you've repeated mm-hmm. a certain prayer yeah. or phrase or introduction. Uh, it's nice to sometimes go back and pick out a word yeah. or a phrase in there that will, um, I guess, take it to a deeper level there and remind us of what we're really doing here. And that's what we're doing today, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good segue for our... I'm sure that was intentional, Benny, per usual. No! What do you mean? (laughs) Well, per usual, I'm really excited about our guest today. And I I have to say, this is one where now that I'm back in Seattle, and and I've continued to collaborate with East West, but while I was in Petaluma, it was farther away. And so I'm not always aware of what East West Bookshop is doing. And um, so I'm so excited because we've got some really great guests coming up, one of whom is on the show today. Um, who are going to be doing events at East West. So I just want to bring that to your attention because if you like what you hear today and you want to take the work further with a a live experience with one of these people, um, there will be an opportunity through East West Bookshop to do that, either in person or through uh, virtual events. Um, And so um, for today, um, we have Sally Kempton. Um, and, And I was telling Sally before we went on air, I have to confess that I was not aware of her work before today, but um, she is very well known in this uh, in the in the meditation community, and for particularly for certain um, uh, approaches and practices that we'll talk about here today. Um, and so I'll just read her bio here, and then we will bring her on to talk about one of the particular approaches that she's going to be exploring through an event at East West Bookshop. Um, okay, so. Sally Kempton is a widely respected teacher of meditation and spiritual wisdom, known for her capacity to kindle meditative states in others and to help students work with meditative experience as a framework for practical life change. In her 20s, Sally was a journalist who wrote for Esquire, New York, and The Village Voice. Since then, she has spent over four decades practicing, teaching, and writing on meditation and spiritual philosophy. After 20 years as a Swami in a Vedic tradition, Sally emerged as a popular teacher in 2002. She is the author of the best-selling books, Awakening Shakti, The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga, 
and also Meditation for the Love of It, which I believe Elizabeth Gilbert or Liz Gilbert of Eat, Pray, Love fame wrote the foreword for. Um, and so I want to ask Sally about that as well. Um, so she also has a number of audio programs, including Doorways to the Infinite, The Art and Practice of Tantric Meditation, which is the one that I listen to in preparation for the show and cannot recommend highly enough. Um, she is on the faculty at Esalen, Kripalu, 1440 Multiversity. And she also teaches meditation on the websites glow.com, gaia.com, and yogajournal.com. She offers retreats, workshops, and online courses in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. And uh, I will just say for the East-West event, just so you can um, be have this in the back of your mind or you can go to the East-West web sh- website um, to sign up for the event, it will be on Saturday, March 19th. So coming up here in uh, about a week, um, it is from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Pacific. It is a virtual event. It's a webinar. And it will be freedom and ecstasy. Sorry, let me try that again. Freedom, ecstasy, and awakening. Meditations from the Bhairava Tantra, um, which we will tell you all about what the Bhairava Tantra is today. Um, and so let's see. Oh, and her website, to find out more about her, you can also see her events on that website. It's sallykempton.com. That is sallykempton.com. Uh, Sally, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you, Sunny. That was a beautiful introduction. <laughs> well, yeah, you have quite a, quite the resume. Um, and um, again, I, I can't believe that I hadn't heard of you before, but I'm very honored to be speaking with you and to have um, had the opportunity to explore uh, the Bhairava uh, uh, Tantra meditation practice through your doorways to the infinite um, audio program with Sounds True. That was just beautiful. Yeah, it's an it's really an amazing tradition and very relevant to us today. Uh, so um, it's been it's one of my favorite go to texts, and uh, the beautiful part of it is that it's ex- it's totally practical. Yes, and I found that that was one of the things that I mentioned to you before we went on air. Um, here you have taken a text that I, I'm from the most esoteric levels. I'm sure there is a lot of hidden and a lot of unlocking that comes with being a part of this lineage, which you are. But then you have taken what even would just be a very complicated, I'm sure, text and made it so approachable. And your your um, your sometimes you will paraphrase certain segments of the text, and it just makes so much sense. And then of course you read the actual text, and oh, it's just so beautiful. So, um, I, and so before we even dive into all of that, I would really love to start with your background, which I'm I, I'm fascinated by, and would like to hear a little more about um, how you even came to this tradition. Because it sounds like in the '70s, at one point you were sitting in your Manhattan living room, and then you were overcome by a feeling of all-encompassing, unconditional love. And at this point in your life, you're writing as one of the second wave feminist movement folks and and spirituality wasn't really on your mind. So can you tell us a little bit about what changed your trajectory completely to where we sit today? Well, it was a bit of a process. And uh, I at my uh, initial awakening, I have to say, now we can say these things, mm-hmm. was during an acid trip, which mm. I, you know, it, and it was very much the way we used to do acid in those days, which was as a kind of a social, um, you know, I was, I had a new boyfriend. We, we'd taken acid. We walked around my neighborhood, West village. And then we came back, we were sitting, listening to music. And uh, I, I, it sort of happened between 
Ripple, the Grateful Dead song, and a song by the Incredible String Band called This Moment. And, you know, music and acid are very synergistic. So, uh, you know, the, the, there's a kind of a hidden text in a lot of music that when it kind of, to, when you know, when your psyche tunes into the music, it can lead you into places that you uh, normally wouldn't go. So that was my experience. I, it suddenly became, I was filled with love. And, but the most important thing about it was that that feeling, which was like nothing I'd ever, ha I'd ever felt before, it came along with the recognition, oh, this is the truth. Mm. This is how life really is. My ideas about life is struggle and suffering and, you know, do your best to have a good time and do good work. That's, that's just the fingernail of it. The essence of it is this incredibly deep love that makes sense of everything. So um, I'll leave some space for you to ask a question before I, I, I stumble on. So, so um, you know, I was uh, in the midst of a kind of typical 70s downtown Manhattan lifestyle and it took a long time for me to, a long time, it took about a year and a half, for me to recognize that there actually was a path that I could follow uh, that would, you know, show me how to make this real. And because the thing that occurred to me after, you know, when I came off of that experience, I, the thing about psychedelic drugs is that you can have great revelations, but they don't last. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I came down and what I realized when I came down was that my mind was completely out of control and that, you know, I could not stop negative thinking patterns that somehow I knew it was the negative thinking patterns uh, that were to some extent the source of the problem. Mm -hmm. So I, I you know, at, at after about a year and a half, I started meditating and uh, sometime after that in 1974, I met my teacher who was a, an enlightened master from India, a classical tr traditional yogi who was, had enormous charisma and the power to literally take a whole room into meditation. And I was, um, I had a deep awakening of the heart through, through meeting him, which, you know, actually showed me that the path of love was actually inside me. And that through meditation, I could live in it. So that's pretty much been my path ever since. I've, you know, I, I've been uh, meditating, offering service in the ways that I can and do. And, and in the last 30 years teaching, all in the service of, of really allowing the heart to expand and expand and expand until the experience of love became my default. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's sometimes very light and sometimes very strong, but the one thing that, that anchors my life and that I've, I hopefully have learned how to transmit to others to some extent is this recognition of, of the, you know, the, the beautiful and, really unbreakable tenderness at the heart of reality. Mm. Good thing to 
think about at a time like this when the world seems to be in a state that's exactly the opposite of tenderness. Yes. Yeah. So one follow-up question um, around that, that, thank you, that was such a great synopsis um, of your background and what led us here. Um, but I, I read that, you know, in 1982, you were initiated by your teacher, Swami Muktananda, um, into the traditional Saraswati order of Indian swamis or monks. And so that was where you, you led a monastic life, it sounds like. Um, but then in 2002, you were inspired to kind of put that identity aside and create the teaching path. And I'm just curious, what what catalyzed that transition or called you outside of the monastic life to, to make this these teachings so approachable and teach them to folks like me? <laughs> Well, I, I should say that, that my life was not that monastic. Oh. Because we, it, it was very much a, a teaching and program order, and we we taught a lot, you know. And uh, so my training as a, as a teacher of spiritual philosophy and meditation actually happened inside uh, that the, the, the organization, my teacher's organization. But at a certain point, two things became apparent. One was that, there's something about being a Swami, you know, wearing orange robes, being apart from other people. It, first of all, it gives you an automatic authority. People feel they have to accept your authority, even whether or not you've actually earned it. Mm. And second, you are, especially the way I was living, you, you are, you occupy a realm where you're not, you don't have the same problems mm. as let's call it normal people. In other words, you're not paying rent, you don't have kids, yeah. you know, you, you don't have the hassle of most people's work lives. You're, it's a very, very protected, very beautiful, uh, I would go so far as to say blissful bubble in many ways. Yeah. I began to feel inauthentic mm -hmm. because first of all, um, there is so much separation between the realities of my life and the realities of the lives of the people I was teaching. You know, that, that it, I, it, anything I told them felt to me like I was imposing some kind of top-down teaching on people who had much more practical problems and issues. And so a lot of my impulse was to put myself back into the world in a position where I had to think about things like, you know, the heating and the bills. Yeah. <laughs> so So that was a big... That was a big part of it. The second part was I really wanted intellectual freedom. You know, in any spiritual organization, you you live inside the teaching dogma of the organization, and uh, it's a little bit dictatorial by its by its very nature. And I have a quite a wide ranging mind, mm -hmm. and uh, and and I'm I'm very aware of how different spiritual paths really contribute to to soul growth so you know i i wasn't even though i'm very much teaching within a lineage and we can talk about that mm -hmm. um it also i also draw on the truths of other lineages and traditions mm -hmm. uh and um i wanted to be free to do that because i think it's truer to reality than you know than um than kind of blanket adherence to one approach. 
I love that. And so just so we are, for purposes of our conversation, the lineage that you're a part of, and I want to make sure that I understand this because in my notes, um, some of these traditions um, in the, the manuals or the texts are new to me. Um, so would it be the tradition of tantric Shaivism? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, but my, my, my guru lineage, you know, in, mm-hmm. is, um, it, it, it's, let's see, how can I explain it? There's a tradition in India of lineages that, that spring out of the, the state of a radically enlightened being. Mm. And they become, they're like individual lineages. Often you can't trace them back more than two or three or four generations. Mm-hmm. But the, the lineage of Tantric Shaivism, uh, speci- specifically connected to a Northern Indian tradition that comes from Kashmir, you know, from back in the day when uh, Kashmir was a, uh, a Hindu-based state. Kashmir is now a Muslim state, as you know, or mm-hmm. it's, in, it's, in, it's, it's in a controversial relationship to India and Pakistan. But, uh, but there was in the, you know, during a period between the 7th and 10th centuries, a group of extraordinary enlightened beings arose in Kashmir and they taught a tradition that that it was what, what we call technically was a totally non-dual tradition. Mm. In other words, they they produced a map of how this, you know, this supreme reality, Brahman, God, whatever you want to call it, you know, the ultimate uh, manifests within itself as you know, the multiverse, and then expresses itself within human beings in a way that through practice through uh the you know through the process of self-realization you come to have an actual experience that the that that your consciousness is a let's call it miniaturized version of the supreme consciousness and that you you have the potential to recognize that the entire universe is within your awareness. Mm. So it's a it's a radically empowering understanding and radically non-dual. Mm. And its quality, you know, there's a saying in the Kabbalistic tradition uh, by a modern uh, Jewish wisdom teacher named Abraham Kook, uh, that he, he says, he's talking about the universe, he says its insides are lined with love, mm. and that's that's really the experience that that the tantric Shaivism is based on. And we we'll call reality Shiva, but the understanding is that that reality, although one, has two aspects. One of which is stillness, and many traditions aim at that. The other is dynamic, mm. and the world is made of the dynamic aspect of the divine. Um, so leaving aside the philosophical technicalities, we are made of the dynamic aspect of the divine. Yes. And that is one of the things that really stood out to me in reading doorway or listening to experiencing doorways, uh, to the infinite. Um, and my understanding of tantric Shaivism, so many spiritual traditions, religious traditions, I was raised, for example, in a Christian tradition. Um, and it was more, it was on the more conservative side, um, evangelical. Um, I don't identify there anymore, but I, I am very interested in the teachings of Jesus and 
all that go along with it. But in any event, particularly that that tradition, for example, they all seem to want to uh, suppress, restrain, ignore, do away with the human side of things, the body, the human experience, all of the the small self egoic concerns. And I loved, at least my understanding, it, it, th- in this tradition, it's almost by our very humanity that we touch divinity. That's the acknowledgement of the, the, the whole being of the human experience. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, how this differs in, the, in its, its welcoming, its honoring of the human part. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I think that when a person is coming out of, you know, let's call it spiritual childhood. Mm. Uh, you know, it's that a lot of religions want to build a fence around our life and behavior mm-hmm. uh, because there's a belief that there, that there's certain, you know, that goodness, and I, I don't think this is wrong. Goodness has to be trained. Mm-hmm. You know, where there, as someone, someone said recently to me, um, we're intrinsically good. We're not naturally good. Hmm. So, so, and I think, you know, even, even, the, even evangelical, well, I guess, so Christianity, Ju- Judeo-Christianity seems to be based on the idea that of original sin, you know, that mm-hmm. we screwed up big time at the beginning of human history and that everything is about redeeming it. Right. So that the Kashmir Shaiva, the Tantra Shaiva view, and it's also in Hinduism, is that, you know, at, at the most dualistic, there's that the spark of divinity is inside every human being. Yes. And, and that there's one approach, which is that we get rid of everything in the way of it so that we, we are only focusing on the spark of divinity. Mm-hmm. The, t- the insight of tantric Shaivism is that our entire body-mind is an expression of that divinity. Yeah. And yes, we do need to purify the tensions and the, the false ideas and the cruelty and the negativity and, you know, all of those things that we know screw the world up. Yeah. But we do it from the point of view of our intrinsic humanness is, is not just beautiful. It's not just powerful. It's not just, you know, worthy, but is also literally our pores are made of divine energy. Yeah. <laughs> So that means that any pore of our body, you know, especially, of course, our respiratory system, um, <clears throat> our sensory system can be, can be used as a pathway to that recognition, which is that everything about your life is potentially divine. And <clears throat> the, it's, an, it's considered an advanced path because, of course, uh, you know, human beings have to learn ethics. You know, we have to, we have to, to learn how to live by the golden rule. You know, which which is actually you know layered into all the traditions, and if, you know, being selfish, power mad, greedy, um, separated people is not only terrible for the world; it's also terrible for us. So, mm-hmm. you come to tantra after you've done a certain amount of inner work okay. you know that you've so I, it's and there's a big misunderstanding about that because you know for instance part of the the teaching in the the Bhairava Tantra which we're 
you know, which you listen to and which we're going to be talking about in the East West program is that the experience of eating, you know, of savoring food, the experience of listening to music, the experience of absolute wonder that you have when you look at a sunrise Mm -hmm. and sexual experience as well, that all of these are, you know, if we understand, if if we know how to go to the very heart of the experience, the heart of the taste of food, the heart of sexual arousal, the heart of that moment when your ears contact the beautiful piece of music. What we find is that at the heart of all of our sensory experience is this divine wow. (laughs) So in other words, what you want to do is get to the intrinsic wow of of what you see, of what you hear, uh, of what you taste. And, uh, and once you've done that, then it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of paradoxical, but you're no longer believing that it's the food that's giving you the experience, that it's the, you know, that's the sexual arousal that's giving you the experience, that it's the music that's giving you the experience. You know that, that there's, that, that what is at the core of it, the heart of it, the source of it is the source of the experience. Yes. And that's, I'm so glad you went there because I think for me, for example, um, the only thing that I had ever, uh, this was years ago until I started following a more spiritual path and kind of began learning about different traditions. But in the West, we have this association that Tantra is just all about sex and right. sex for sex sake. And I think, oh, you explain this so beautifully that this misperception that Tantra is this permissive path and really it's about, it's about looking at our sensuality, whether that is sexual or, as you mentioned, the pleasure of food or the pleasure of a sunrise or listening to a beautiful piece of music, it's like those, the core of that experience is our touching of the divine in just like this, this, this tiny way. I mean, it's, a, it's only an, in, I think as you put it in the doorways to the infinite, that, that, that these darunas in, in this text are hints reminding us of the bliss of the beauty of the innate ultimate reality that is out there when we're not in a human body. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and there's a, the, I mean, to get, to go back to the metaphysics, if that's okay. Yes, please. There's a, there's a mythic, um, there's a story, which I think I talk about on the, in the, um, in that audio program, yes, there's a story that that these the two aspects of the ultimate reality, um, which are known in the tradition as Shiva and Shakti, that that they are you know that they separate, they 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 make a gap in their oneness in order to experience relationship, mm. as because it's only in relationship that you know where you're seeing yourself reflected in the the eyes, so to speak, and the gaze of a beloved other, that you can truly, uh, you know, discover the dimension of reality that's, that's all, you know, that's, that's all about the love between one living form and another within the context of oneness. So, so they, they separate and, and the universe comes out of their, and then they make love to each other on this cosmic level. You know, this there, of course, there are no bodies here. <laughs> and the universe arises out of their 
contact. Um, people say often say to me when I tell that story, well, isn't this kind of heteronormative? And, <laughs> yeah. Which it is. But, but it's, you know, you can see that the biology of reproduction, which is, you know, in most of the universe, you know, there's a, um, we could call them masculine and feminine, though obviously it is beyond gender, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's a, there's a penetrative aspect of reality and there's a receptive aspect of reality. Mm-hmm. And reproduction is about those two coming together, like, you know, the, like in, in a flower. Yeah. You know, they, so, um, so it, and that, that, that um, strain of creation out of lovemaking, basically, or creation out of contact between two apparently different entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the mirror of, you know, according to this tradition, that's the mirror of how it happens on the, you know, incredibly vast cosmic level. Yes. And so when you, when you go through this tradition and you meditate and you, you, you find your way to the source, to the ultimate truth, that's what you discover. There's no separation. But within that non-separation, it's incredibly paradoxical. There's, there's a love that is expressed through individual entities, whether it's you and your beloved human or you and your cat or you and a tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all about that contact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about, you mentioned uh, the, you mentioned Shiva and Shakti. So in my experience prior to your work, I had only associated Shiva as a Hindu God. But right. it is both. I, I love this because there's some elements of this in, in uh, Judaism as well, where something is both a personal or a name, but also an energy um, at the same time. And so can you speak a little bit about that? Because in this text that, that uh, we, um, we haven't really gotten into the specifics just yet, the, the Vignana Bhairava, yes, yes. Um, that there is Shiva and Shakti, but Shiva is both. There's both the story of the, the, the deities, but there's also the energy <laughs> of them. <laughs> yes, or, or even subtler than the energy, the, the, the awareness, you know, the, the, you know, the, the subtle intelligence. In, in Hinduism, the word for, I mean, in, you know, in essential Hinduism, there's a, an acceptance, um, especially, you know, among the you know the genuine philosophers and yogis and realizers mm-hmm. that reality is both utterly formless vast made of awareness mm-hmm. existence and joy and the sanskrit phrase is sat chit ananda um sat meaning being it exists there it, there actually is a soul of the universe mm-hmm. that's the heart of the universe it's intelligent and that intelligence is in every living creature. I mean, the, the leaves and the trees, as we know, have intelligence. You know, mm-hmm. what, makes the, what makes the sap run? What gives the plant its capacity to push up through the soil? You know, those are all aspects of the divine intelligence. And its nature is blissful, ananda. Mm-hmm. So when you, and in, in, Indian, in India, of course, as we know, there are many faces of the divine. So it's a it's a polytheistic panoply of deities, 
But behind it is the understanding that there's only one intelligent, conscious, loving being that has all these different faces, that takes all these different forms. So, and it's Shiva is, <coughs> which means goodness or that which underlies, which is how I like to, to um, express it. It's kind of the ground of everything. Shiva is one of the names for, you know, what we call the absolute consciousness or God or, and Shiva is so that vastness, which is also mirrored inside your awareness, uh, also takes a form as that famous Hindu deity with, you know, the snakes and the moon in his head. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and there, there are other, in other sects in India, um, you know, specifically, especially the, there are two, two other main sects in India. One is, it calls reality Vishnu or Krishna, mm -hmm. and another calls reality goddess or Devi. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the the, the goddess-oriented tradition is uh, much smaller than the male-oriented traditions for, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but there, in all of them, there's the understanding that the deity form is kind of, it's an expression mm -hmm. of something that has no form. Mm -hmm. And that is much bigger than any, any individual, anything. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. It, it took me a long time to really get that because we are so, we're in bodies, you know. Yeah. We're seeing everything else that's not our body is outside us. And there has to be, this is one of the reasons why meditation is so important in recognizing this. It's like in meditation, you eventually begin to realize that your skin boundaries are, are actually, uh, they're, let's say they're not real. You know, I mean, they're real on a certain level, but your consciousness is far bigger than your skin barrier. And meditation can show you that your consciousness is big enough to hold I have, I'm looking at, at a, a tree covered hillside here. So it's very easy to have this understanding. It's a little bit harder if you're in a busy airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, it's through meditation that, that the, your sense of your own awareness begins to expand mm. so that, you know, you actually can experience this, the sameness of of your own consciousness with your friend's consciousness, you know, of your own life force with the life force in the squirrel or the tree, or even, uh, at, you know, and this has happened to me a couple of times, I wouldn't say it's my everyday experience, mm -hmm. even the particles, the atoms in the desk mm -hmm. reveal themselves as made of energy and consciousness. It's, it's quite an amazing experience. Yes, and one of the things that stood out to me that I think you had mentioned in in the um, program that I listened to, Doorways to the Infinite, is that uh, one of the unique features of Tantric Shaivism um, is that there are many practices to draw from. It just feels like you've got a big toolkit. You've got creative visualization or contemplations. You've got breathing practices. You've got uh, of course, the the, the sensual uh, pleasure experiences, and I'm 
I'm just curious. Um, so let, let's go ahead and speak a little bit about the the text, um, the yeah. Vijnana Bhairava. Um, yes. Yes. And so tell us about that and some of what makes this practice so unique. Well, Vijnana means experiential knowledge. Mm. There is, it, and way, you can, one way to translate it is wisdom. And, you know, the, the understanding here is that there's many forms of knowledge. There's, you know, knowledge that you pick up from books or teachers. And then there's the knowledge that even though teachers and books are helpful, that can, that can only be discovered through internalization. Right. So the, this text begins with, with a conversation between Shiva and Shakti, which is, the, which is the frame that a lot of the tantric texts take. And she says, how can a, a person discover the truth? Mm. What's the way to discover the truth? And actually the question she asks is, how can a person experience your state, you know, this ultimate state? And he says, uh, the, here are the ways you discover my state by going deeply into the, into the Shakti aspect of reality, into the embodiment, into the, you know, the, the, the way the mind creates realities into emotions, into void states, the states of emptiness, uh, and into the sensory things we were talking about earlier. But one of my favorite practices, and uh, if you want, we can, we can do it. Sure. I discovered, yeah, so one of my favorite practices is, is to imagine that your body is absolutely empty behind the skin. And it's, and it's not that hard to do. Just close your eyes. It's always good to start by focusing on the breath. And have the recognition, I'm just going to do this for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. My body is completely hollow behind a thin membrane of skin, like the skin of a drum. My body is absolute stillness, emptiness, void. And just feel into the space where your heart would be with the recognition that it's absolutely transparent. Now my first experience of really, really the effect of this practice happened during a time in my life when I was, you know, going in the waking state, going through a lot of worry and fear and anxiety and couldn't sleep at night. And I would lie down and I would imagine my body empty from underneath the skin. And that awareness would dissolve my negative emotions. It was a, really an amazing resource for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's something that, you know, when it's a way of bringing yourself into a state of peace by the use of your imagination. Mm -hmm. And, um, and into that, you know, once you, once you start to recognize, because it's, because the truth about our 
our body systems. Uh, and this becomes very obvious when you're in certain states of meditation. The truth of our body systems is that they're, our bodies are made of light, you know, mm -hmm. which has condensed itself into matter uh, and which can reveal the fact that it's light. And once you, once you start to recognize this incredible subtlety in your body, then it becomes possible to, to work with body states, to release tensions, to, re to even release illness, though I, I, don't, I don't promise that as an effect of this practice. Right. Because in that emptiness is the source of all creativity. So, so transformation really comes out of the recognition that, you know, when you have a, when you have an empty inner body, it can become anything. Yeah, I think so often. I think you talked about um, in Doorways to the Infinite that for many humans, me included, the idea of a void, and I think this is more the psychological aspect of it, sounds very right. scary. But in yeah. fact, there is a fullness, a divine fullness there in which like all the good comes from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we are terrified of contentlessness. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so often mm -hmm. when, we, when you have an experience of it, you go, oh, no, <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> that, and that. The second time you have that experience, you you real you second or third time, if you if you're willing to stay with it, you go, oh my God, no, I'm free. <laughs> There's freedom in my body. There's ecstasy in my body, and it begins to come online when I begin to let go of the idea that I am, you know, I am this flesh with all its aches and pains and its emotional upheaval. Um, that's one approach. Now there's. Mm -hmm. There's another approach, which is another thing in this in this text, which consists of 112 meditation techniques, mm. which are very wide ranging, you know, and this is one that I really love, where you, um, let's say you're very angry, or you're very excited. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it works, it, it works very well with strong emotions like anger. And in, so, and instead of telling yourself the story about why you're angry and working yourself up more and more, which is what we generally do, mm -hmm. you, you feel the anger and you try to tune into it. Like you turn your attention into the feeling of anger or into the feeling of jealousy or into the feeling of fear, which is pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. And just let yourself feel into the root of it, not the conceptual root of it, but the energetic felt state of anger and fear. And what will happen if you can stay with it and make it a meditation <clears throat> is that the, the emotional upheaval part of it begins to dissolve and you experience a much deeper creative energy mm. because these emotions, when you, you know, when you understand them, they're actually filled with energy. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, using your emotion as a pathway to the deepest form of energy can unleash your creativity, your wisdom uh, in very unexpected ways. So that's the opposite of emptiness, right? It's yes. Like you practice with, with intense feeling, with intense emotion or physical pain. You can do the same thing 
with physical discomfort. You And then principle is you turn into it rather than trying to resist or avoid it. Yeah. And this goes yeah. back. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. Oh, I was just saying this is what, again, it, it keeps coming back to me about working with our humanity instead of trying to push it away or suppress it. And I think harnessing the power of the desire or the emotion or whatever it is. Again, I just, I was delighted by that aspect of this practice. Yeah. It's, you know, it's incredibly liberating. I mean, there's, there's some of the words that come up, you know, are words like savor, Mm. you know, your breath, of course, and all spiritual traditions, the breath is, you know, it's 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 base. It's the first line practice for going inside. Mm-hmm. But what makes breath practice juicy and enjoyable and delicious? It's you know, it's that when as breath comes into the body, if you're paying attention, it actually caresses your nostrils. It caresses your throat. There's an incredible sensory awareness and sweetness that the you know that comes in the contact of breath and the inner body and if you just savor the breath you just feel the breath let it come in without trying to pull it or push it little by little you start to recognize that you're being breathed and that the that the air itself is you can actually experience that the air making love to you through the breath so you know that that capacity to savor to to feel the tenderness of the way that you know the 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 breathing process which gives us life and connects us to the world around us yeah uh, you know this so and there are lots of ways to practice with the breath uh, I like to imagine the breath as light, bringing light into the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just just letting yourself more and more deeply feel the gift of breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it it's this is now a very popular practice in the spiritual world, and there's you know workshops on breathing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and if you've read that book, Breath, which is which I fully recommend. I can't remember the guy's name. It's just a brilliant book on, on how to, to experience our, you know, truly healthy breathing, but none of them capture this essential thing about the breath, you know, which is that the breath is the way the universe adores you. Oh, will you say that again? The breath is how the universe adores you. You know, breath is pouring life force into you. And really, if we can just receive that with wonder and affection and welcome it, it you know, it's, it, you can try it now, anyone who's listening, just, just let the breath come in and go. And I know a lot of us have anxiety with the breathing. I, I did for many years. So um, as you just allow the breath to come and go from your body, you might notice feelings of relaxation, or you might notice a little bit of panic. So just let that be there. Have the feeling that you're welcoming the breath. The breath is not, you are not breathing, even though, of course, breath is both 
Um, it's both a spontaneous process and a process that we can regulate, but just have the feeling for now that you're not trying to regulate the breath. Your body is opening, the breath slowing in and out. And within the breath is the intention of the universe to adore you, to welcome you, to help you realize that you're at home here and you're receiving that love through the breath from the universe herself. Yeah, that I don't want to cut you off since I can't see. I can't. I don't. I want to be with the stillness. If you're still, if you're still there with the breath, but it reminds me of something that I do want to share. Sure. Yes, a beautiful story that you share. Um, in I, I know I keep coming back to, but this particular audio recording is the one that I connected with before our interview. But in Doorways to the Infinite, about your teacher uh, Swami Muktananda, and he was having a conversation with some Christian monks, and they were discussing how to tell people about the spiritual journey. And apparently, one of the Christian monks said, "Well." You have to tell them about the suffering. And Muktananda said, no, suffering is ordinary. You have to tell them about the bliss. I think that just this, this being so loved by the universe and being able to experience that love through all these human experiences. Um, can, can you talk about the element of bliss in Tantric Shaivism? Yeah, the, the, uh, as one, one of my friends who teaches Shaivism says, uh, Shaivism, tantric Shaivism is a bliss saturated path. Mm. And that's really true. It's so there's a mystical um, aspect to this path, mm -hmm. which is that, uh, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. I often, I often prefer to talk about things in terms of our normal experience of it, but yeah. this is, this is the metaphysical underpinning of all of this. Mm -hmm. So, the shakti, the creative power that manifests this world and gives us the experience of separation, because of course our nervous system is completely wired to see separation. Yep. At a certain point, uh, that same shakti starts revealing oneness, and uh, and and it's this is what we call awakening. So, in other words. That experience I had on acid is many people have initial awakenings through drugs, which is, I think, why drugs have been part of so many religious traditions, you know, over the over the years. From you know, we know about the Aleutian mysteries in Greece, mm -hmm. uh, and then you know, we know about the Native American, you know, plant plant medicine ceremonies, that and they were used for healing, but they were also used for really activating the life force energy so that it would begin to show you the potential of your humanness and you need an awakening for this to happen. Yeah. So part of the thing, you know, part of the, the part of my lineage, um, one of the things my lineage is known for is to, is for transmitting such an awakening, which can be very mild, just enough to sort of turn your attention in order, it can be extremely dramatic, uh, which my guru was capable of, mm -hmm. very dramatic. So um, in order to, to have this teaching become real for you, you need to be in touch with and cultivating your own life force energy. And, um, and that, that's the, 
That's why this path is considered esoteric. But the thing that we have been noticing in the last 50 years, and I think you know, know it too, is that this kind of awakening is becoming more and more widespread, more and more available, whether it's through connections with teachers or just spontaneously, almost as though the, you know, the, this, the Shakti of the universe wants us to wake up to the truth. There's a, there, I do believe there is a huge shift of consciousness happening all over the planet, mm-hmm. you know, as, as well as the horrible reaction to it, you know, yeah. which we see in currently in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the awakening is, I mean, this wisdom is being, uh, it's becoming accessible to people. And I think, I think almost as though our own bodies and minds are, starting to reveal this this ancient primordial wisdom to us uh, because that's what that's what the mind of the universe which is at the heart of our own minds actually wants you know wants us to get it yes you know that this world is supposed to be an exquisite dance of blissfulness and somehow due to the choices we've been making as free humans over time we've you know, we've not only forgotten that, we've covered it up so intensely that we think it's all about, you know, zero-sum games and war and conflict, but actually, no, it's it's meant to be about love. Oh, absolutely. And we are almost at the end of the hour, so I think that's a wonderful place to make sure that we share details um, of how to connect with you through your East-West event. Um, and so just um, for the details on this, uh, it is on Saturday, March 19th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Pacific. It is a webinar, so of course you can attend from anywhere. It is called Freedom, Ecstasy, and Awakening, Meditations from the Bhairava Tantra. So I, um, I imagine you all uh, will be doing taking things a bit deeper um, than what we've been able to address here today. Um, and I, I have to say, uh, I get why Elizabeth Gilbert calls you, I think that I'm quoting Elizabeth Gilbert here, one of the best meditation teachers in the world who manages to fearlessly explore the outer reaches of the universe without ever losing the voice of your dear friend from just around the block. I think she always knows how to say things just right, and I get that. Uh, thank you so much for having been my guest today, Sally Kempton. Um, this has just been such an honor and a joy of a conversation. It's been my pleasure, Sunny, and um, hope we meet again. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'm excited to be able, as I told you before we went on air, to spend more time in sitting with doorways to the infinite instead of just preparing for the show, because um, I know there's a lot more to to learn and to experience from that. And just uh, for those out there listening to find out more about Sally and uh, her books and her courses or how to connect with her through the East West Bookshop event, you can go to sallykimpton.com. That is sallykimpton.com. You have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. Look forward to seeing you next week.